Well, good morning, and I uh, want to welcome you to Genesis 2. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we hope that you had a great Thanksgiving uh, weekend. We, uh, our family, we spent the last few days uh, in the Fort Wayne area, and on Thanksgiving Day made a quick trip uh, over to my wife's grandma's house in Ohio. Now, here's the really interesting thing about doing any holiday uh, or Thanksgiving at, at my wife's grandma's house, and that is that uh, Jenny's grandma wrecker had 12 children. Uh, those 12 children have given her 58 grandchildren uh, who have in turn given her, get this, 101 great-grandchildren. And now, they weren't all there on Thanksgiving Day, but I'm guessing that at one time, at the highest point, there were probably around 100 people packed into her three-bedroom ranch uh, out on the farm, and uh, so it was quite the packed house. And it's always a fun experience as I sit there with my wife, and maybe somebody new walks through the door, and I'll turn to my wife and say, who's that? And she'll look at me, and she said, I have no idea. I, I, have, I mean, she doesn't even know her own family. Uh, there are so many people. But uh, hey, if you're like us at all, and you don't live around family, uh, the holidays might be that one time of the year when you uh, see, you know, a brother or sister, maybe you see cousins. Uh, maybe you see nieces and nephews that you haven't seen in a long time, and uh, it's just really crazy how they change, I mean, from year to year, you know, especially if you haven't seen them uh, in a while. I mean, every year means that, you know, that niece or that nephew or, or cousin has grown a little bit older, and, well, they change, and, and things change, and uh, one of the things that's been fun uh, with this uh, Dear True Love series is receiving uh, some of your photos, some of your wedding photos uh, and I hope it's been fun for you, maybe as you went back and looked through your wedding albums. And uh, it's been fun for us to see, wow, that's what they really looked like. And, and maybe you see the difference in hairdo. And we all had bad hair when we got married, right? And maybe still today. Or uh, you picked a bad tuxedo, as it was in my case. Or, you know, maybe you weren't as pleased today with your dress uh, as you were then. I mean, one thing's for sure, and that is that our marriages change. Uh, you know, we change, and uh, our marriages change, and, and they should. I mean, they have to. Uh, let me give you one example of how my marriage has changed. Jenny and I have been married for 16 years. Uh, we have three kids, and our marriage looks a lot different today uh, than we were first married. Now, I will add it's better, all right, but it's definitely different. I mean, for instance, uh, I remember the time my wife was cooking this sweet Valentine's Day dinner uh, for our family and uh, chicken parmesan, and we were going to put the kids to bed early and just enjoy a very special evening together, and that is until one of our kids started scratching their head at the kitchen table. Which, uh, which meant lice, all right? And uh, if you've had kids, well, you, you know what that's like. And you could say that the lice kind of altered our plans for the Valentine's Day evening. I remember we were in the middle of laundry uh, later on that night, and Jenny just kind of turned to me and said, is this what you expected? I mean, is this, is this what you had in mind? And I certainly, that's not what I had in mind uh, for our Valentine's Day evening together. But there was this uh, funny but true article uh, that's been making its way around Facebook right now. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's written by a woman by the name of Susanna Lewis, uh, and it's titled, I Can Sum Up My Marriage in These 11 Texts 
I've sent my husband. It's kind of her way of illustrating through text messages how our marriages change and how they have to change and how they adapt, especially when something like kids uh, come along. Look at, look at a few of these uh, texts that uh, she gives as an example. Here's one text she sent to her husband. She says, I need to know when you'll be home so I can change out of my pajamas and appear to have been productive today. He writes, I'll never tell, all right? You've ever had a conversation with your spouse before, you know, uh, well, you know that to be true. Check out this next one. She writes, I need an onion, yellow or white. I don't know. What's the difference? One's yellow, the other is white. <laughs> all right, if you're a husband, you know the importance of clarity, all right? We need clarity when we're given an instruction. Check out this next one. She writes, I'll be home when dinner is over. Please have the kids bathed and in bed before I get home. He writes, sorry, just saw this. Seriously, I'm pulling in the driveway. I'm getting them ready now. Oh, hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know the, uh, the fun and challenges of getting kids to bed. How about this next one? She writes, hey, they're here to close the pool. I thought you were going to be here for this. I don't know what to tell them. Tell them to close the pool, right? Again, just <laughs> clarity. Get the job done. Get to the point. And, well, this last one here is clever. And this next one's clever. Do you want lasagna or meatloaf for supper? Lasagna. Me too. Stop by Olive Garden on the way home, all right? <laughs> just best to know. What did you really mean? What is it that we really want? Uh, for dinner. And finally, this last one, I, I love you. I hope you have a great day. I love you, baby. You're tracking my cycle again, aren't you? You know it's PMS day. <laughs> he writes, I got an alert this morning. <laughs> you take the fun out of this for me. I'll load the dishwasher wrong tonight so you can yell. <laughs> hey, we all know, right? As time goes by and as the years pass, things change. They have to change. And add, add a kid to the mix you know, at a, at a new job or a big move, and, and you know that your marriage is going to change. And some of these circumstances uh, that come into our life and come into our marriage are positive, uh, and the growth that results for the, from them uh, is good for us. Uh, sometimes the circumstances are not so good, uh, but we manage, and we, we gain, and we grow from them too. Other times, you know, in life and in marriage, we're hit with particular circumstances or challenges that, that take a negative or a devastating toll on our marriage. And and, well, isn't it true that sometimes we just get to a difficult place in our marriage, and, and maybe that's where some of you would say that you are today, and honestly, you don't know how you got here, and things have changed, and it's not good, and the two of you have drifted from each other, and if you're honest, you just really don't know how. You don't know how you got to this place. I, I remember back a number of years ago, I was fishing with a buddy of mine one time, and we were in this uh, teeny tiny uh, fishing boat of his, fishing near this dam, which was right up against this really uh, large spillway. And we were fishing and having a good time and not really paying attention until all of a sudden one of us realized that we were bumping up against the edge of this steep spillway, about to plunge over the very side of it. You know, little by little, we had drifted to this dangerous place and we didn't even know it. And you know what? That's just where some of you might be today. And maybe where you are in your marriage right now. I mean, your marriage has drifted, and it's drifted to a discouraging place. And you have no idea in the world how you got there. Or uh, some of you find yourself in crisis today, and you've got a pretty good idea of why you're in crisis. Um, you know, whatever the reason, whatever the cause, I mean, you find yourself uh, in a lot of trouble right now, whether that be in life or in, in, in marriage. And and maybe you would say that you're about out of hope. And if that any way, in any way uh, describes where you are right now, I want you to know that my prayer for you today and what I've been praying this week and have had others pray too is that God will use this service for you today, that, that He'll choose to use this message and that you'll be encouraged and see that no matter where you are right now, things don't have to stay the same. 
Uh, they don't have to stay this way. And if you, if you find yourself discouraged or frustrated in marriage, if you find yourself in crisis, um, I want you to know and I want you to believe that God can get you through, that, that He can move and lead you through this because there is nothing too great for Him. There is nothing too difficult. There is nothing uh, too big or impossible for our God. In fact, your present troubles right now in your life or in your marriage can lead to a place of hope. And He can get you there. Uh, if you trust Him, if you lean on Him, if you put your trust in God, if you put your hope in Him, uh, I want you to know, and I believe with all my heart, that He can lead you through. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it right now and turn with us to the Old Testament book of Hosea. Uh, it's going to be in the last third of the Old Testament uh, of your Bible. We'll have the verses on the screen here for you too. If you use something like a, uh, an app on your phone, something like version, feel free to go there with us. The book of Hosea will be in chapter 1 uh, to start. I want to show you a story today, uh, a story that is both very painful and very beautiful at the same time. We're going to look at this story of a guy by the name of Hosea. Uh, and a woman named Gomer. And again, just so that you're not confused, Hosea is the husband, Gomer is the wife, all right? And it's just such an unfortunate name uh, for a woman, especially at this time uh, or any time for that matter, but Hosea and Gomer, uh, who would be his wife. Now, this story, just to give you a little background, takes place 700 years uh, before Jesus was born, and it's a very prosperous time in the nation of Israel. But as we often see in the Bible and in society too, I mean, how many times when there's a, a time of, or a period of economic increase, is there a time of spiritual decrease too? And that's what's happening here uh, in Israel. The people have turned from God and they're putting their hope in anything other than God and it's breaking his heart. And so what God is going to do is he's going to send a special messenger uh, he's going to send a prophet, this man by, by the name of Hosea, and what he's going to do is really unique to this time uh, because instead of preaching God's message to the people with words, we're going to see that God's going to call this prophet, this special messenger in Hosea, to live and to experience the message for all of the people uh, to see. And so let's pick it up in Hosea chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 2. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, here's his instructions. He says, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so verse 3 says, so he married Gomer, Hosea did, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now I want you to notice two words there that are very telling that should tip us off. Those words, promiscuous woman and adulterous wife. These are, are really strong words. I mean, the, the writer here wants us to know and realize that this woman was, was a harlot, that Gomer was a harlot, that she was a, a prostitute. Now, stop there for a second. Let me just kind of ask you, or we should ask ourselves, I mean, why in the world would God take this young prophet, this special messenger in Hosea, and command him to marry a prostitute named Gomer? Well, it's important that we see right from the start that this story has several layers to it, all right? The first layer is that this story represents a very literal story between a man named Hosea and a woman whose name was Gomer, and so it's a pretty spectacular love story. Uh, another layer is that this story represents a picture of God, and just as Hosea, God's prophet, is going to love this immoral woman, what we're supposed to see is that God is going to love the immoral people uh, in Israel. Now, one final layer is that this story represents God and how He loves you and how He loves me, and that even when we reject Him, 
And even when we turn our backs on Him, and even when we sin against Him, He still loves us. You see, there's nothing that is so big or so great that God can't love you, uh, even with these things in our life. And so God commands Hosea to marry Gomer. And what happens next? Well, we'll just kind of read into it a little bit. Let's, let's bring it up to the modern-day version. Maybe it went something like this. These two newlyweds are married, and they go on a honeymoon and establish their home. And what do you know? Well, before too long, uh, Gomer gives birth to a son. Now, they have a family, we suppose, and they start adapting to life and to all of the changes. I mean, put it into today's term, life happens, right? It happens to all of us. And so things change. And so maybe over time, Jose gets busier. He's got a, a booming career, which means more hours and more time away. And, and because of it, and because he's gone so much, he's never really around to help around with the house. And uh, Gomer doesn't feel like he appreciates her, that he's paying attention uh, to anyone or anything when he's at home. Meantime, uh, he's always away at work and she's at home all day. And everyone thinks she's great when in fact she's desperately lonely. Add to it, she can't seem to shed the baby weight. And, and so there's the challenges of uh, her hurting self-image here. And because of that, their intimate relationship is impacted. And wouldn't you know it, it doesn't take long before he's feeling neglected and maybe she's feeling trapped and so they're not meeting each other's needs uh, anymore. And it's not like anything specific happened and they didn't see it coming, but they're both drifting. But then one day maybe something happens and he's away on a trip and she's up late one night on Facebook and she's on the computer and all of a sudden she gets a message from an old flame and they start talking. And before long they've established this relationship, this friendship of sorts. And so Gomer starts to disengage in her marriage. I mean, what started out as just some innocent messages has turned into a lunch between Gomer and a guy that gets her. Maybe he just gets me. And before she realizes it, she falls into a trap that I think every single one of us is prone to fall into. It's the most common marriage misconception that we see. It's in your notes if you're following along, and it's just simply the misconception that what I'm missing is better than what I have. Man, how often we do that? You know, what, I, what I'm missing is better than what I have. Look at what happens if you skip over to verse 2. Uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, in fact, the second half of that verse, here's, here's Gomer's response to whatever has taken place, whatever is forcing her away, whatever has gotten her thinking that what I'm missing is better than what I have. She said, I'll go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. See, what's going to happen is Gomer is going to leave her husband because she believes that what she's missing is better than what she has. Now, she might be also thinking something like, you know what, it's not too bad. It's not that I don't have a good guy in Hosea and these children, but maybe, maybe he's just not able to give me everything that I think I want or need. But there's this guy over there, and again, he gets me, and he can give me what I need. It's just, it's that whole, the grass is always greener somewhere else, right? I mean, we play that game all the time. I mean, it's the game that if I only had that house, then I'd be happy. Or if only we could take that trip or that vacation. Uh, if only I had that, that certain car. If only I had a man that listened to me like that. Uh, if only I had a woman who had a body like that. If only I could be married. If only I could be single again. Then what? Well, then I'd be happy, right? If I had this, then I'd be happy. It's the whole, the grass is always greener in someone else's yard. What I'm missing is better than what I have. You know, I can't count how many times I've fallen into a trap like that. I mean, with just various things in life. 
Think about how many people have fallen into an affair over such a lie. Think about how many marriages have drifted and are struggling today because of these sorts of lies, the lie that what I'm missing is better than what I have. Well, again, we're not exactly sure how it played out for Jose and Gomer. I mean, all we know is that she buys the lie. She left Jose and she went out and she slept around and she conceived and a couple of children were born through her unfaithfulness. Now, let me just add that there's some scholarly debate over whether any of these children that we read about in Scripture uh, belong to Hosea or belong to these other men. The text is not crystal clear. But what we do see is that God told Hosea to name these children, and he gave Hosea the names that he were to give, that he was to give to Gomer's children. And so to the daughter of Gomer, Hosea gave the name Loruhamah, which means unloved. Uh, we also know from the text that Gomer also had a son, and God told Hosea to call him Lo, uh, Lo-emi, which means not my true father. It's a little confusing, all right, and, and it's a little obscure. I mean, the book's a little challenging to read. I mean, let's just be honest, but again, remember, this story has multiple layers, all right? There are different messages that are being communicated here, and ultimately what God is doing is he's using this real-life story, this real-life situation, and the names of Gomer's children to express his heartbreak and his feelings towards people like Gomer who rebel and walk away from, from, from God and go looking to other things, go looking for satisfaction in other things, people that, that have cheated on him. Uh, you could call it spiritual adul- adultery. I mean, that's really what's being described here. I mean, it's when we go looking to, do, to other things to do for us what only God can ultimately do. And, and so here's what happens. Here's what happens when we commit spiritual adultery against God. We see a couple of examples of His responses uh, to our spiritual adultery, to our sin. They're in your notes. The first one is this. We see His righteous anger. You can see it right here in this situation. We see it in this story. I mean, God expresses his anger. You see it a little later uh, over in verse 8. Pick it up in in Hosea 2, verse 8. We read, she has not acknowledged, Gomer has not acknowledged that I was the one, God says, who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold. Remember, she's gone looking for these things, all right, away from the truth source. I'm the one that provides these things. He says, I am the one who has lavished the silver and gold. And what does she do? She used them for Baal. Now, verse 9, he says, therefore, here's how he says, I'm going to respond. I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and linen intended to cover her naked body. He says, so now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. Do you see the righteous anger in this passage here? I mean, it's coming from a God who is jealous for you. It's coming from a God who desires to have a relationship with you. And the thing is that when you turn your back, when I turn my back on him, like with Gomer, his heart aches over us. I mean, it's almost as if you could hear God saying, you know, you want to do life without me, Gomer? Fine, go for it. I mean, see how it works out for you. You want, to have, you want to have a marriage where I'm not at the center. You want to go looking for satisfaction in things other than me? It's almost like he's saying, okay, go for it. You just let me know how that works out for you. See, he's a jealous God. This is an example of his righteous anger. But then notice the last line there in verse 10. All right, if we could put that verse back up on the screen, that last verse there, verse 10, where we see that even in his righteous anger, he insists, no one will take her out of my hands. Meaning, I'll let her drift. I won't hold her back. But do you know what? The enemy can't have her. 
she belongs to me. I, I just want you to see there, I, I want you to realize how God is capable of both demonstrating righteous anger and an unwillingness to give up on Gomer at the very same time. And you know what? He feels the same way about you. And he feels the same way about me. I mean, the truth is, the fact is that he despises our sin. I mean, it, it leads him to a righteous anger. And sometimes that means that he'll let us drift and he'll let us go our own way. But like with Gomer, he won't give up on us. And just as he wasn't willing to give up on Gomer, he won't give up on you. I mean, his love means that he will never let us go. I like the way that uh, Tim Keller says it. He says it like this. He says, there is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon and cover. There is no sin that is a match for His grace. And what a powerful truth that there is no evil in your life right now. Uh, there is nothing from your past. There is nothing in your present. There is no sin that is so true or so powerful in your life that it is too great for Him. And a match for His love or a match for His forgiveness or His grace for you uh, and for me. God hates our sin. All right, he responds with a righteous anger. But the second thing that we see is that he's also a God with an unfailing love. It's an unfailing love. Look at uh, verse 14, Hosea 2, 14. Remember, she's gone, all right? She's out doing her own rebellious thing. Uh, he says, here's what I'm going to do. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. He says, I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. He says, there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Now, stop there for a second. That word Achor, uh, when translated, it means trouble, all right? This valley of Achor, it very literally means I will make the valley of trouble into a door of hope. God says to Hosea, here's what he's saying to, to Gomer. He says, and this marriage in crisis, he says, I'm going to take this time of trouble and pain and challenges, these circumstances in your life and in your marriage, and you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to use these circumstances to lead you to a door of hope. Now, there are two ways to discover uh, true love in, in your marriage. The first is this, be perfect, right? All right, husbands and wives, to all of us, just be perfect, all right? Be perfect people, be a perfect husband, be a perfect wife, have a perfect marriage. Maybe it leads to true love, all right? And if that's you, good luck with that. For the rest of us, all right, how do we find true love? I just want you to see that for the rest of us, when life happens and when trouble hits, it means that we stand together and we walk through the valley of Achor until we find the door of hope. Uh, here's the thing. When it comes to my marriage, when it comes to your marriage, I mean, we, we sin, we mess up, we do cruel things, we overlook, we get lazy, we lose focus, we reject one another, we drift and things change and we're desperate. But do you know what? With God, we can turn to Him and we can find the help and we can find the strength that we need. Here's what I want you to know and realize. Your present troubles can lead to a place of hope. I want you to know that today. I want you to hear that today, no matter where you are in your marriage right now, but especially if you're in a desperate place or in a place of crisis in your marriage, your present troubles can lead to a place of hope. That means that your present crisis, your frustration, the marriage that you're about to give up on, with God's help, I promise you that he can lead, to a, lead you to a place of hope. If you will trust in him, if you will put your faith in him, if, you, if your life if your marriage is in trouble today, it doesn't have to stay this way. God can do this. 
All right? He, he can do this through you. Your marriage doesn't have to end. There is nothing too big or too great from him. There is no sin that he can't heal. There is no wound that he can't repair. God can heal your life. He can heal your marriage. He can take what has already happened, and he can turn it into good for you, and he can turn it into good for your marriage and for your children and, and for people around you today. And if you're alone in this right now, like if you're here and she's not, all right, or if you're here and he's not, I mean, maybe you're here by yourself today, I want you to know that one of you pursuing God is better than none of you pursuing God right now. And that just means, again, that if your spouse isn't there yet, all right, you keep pursuing God and trusting that he can lead you through. He can take you through these present troubles to a place of hope. And if it's too late, all right, and, and, and realistically, your marriage is reversible, irreversible, and, and you're too divorced, or, or through the divorce, you just keep pursuing God, all right? You keep pursuing God, and He can get you through, and I promise you that He can heal you and heal your life, and if you're still together, all right, but it's a mess, and you're still together, and maybe both here today, and you would say that it's tough or it's a mess, I want you to find hope in knowing that he or she might be letting go of you right now. But do you know what? You're not going to let go of God because he's not going to let go of you. I promise you that he can lead you through these troubles right now to a place of hope. And so don't give up on him because he's not giving up on you. And again, if both of you are here and if both of you are listening and both of you are pursuing God, it's this simple. You can't fail. If you're both pursuing God, and seeking Him, and seeking His strength, you can't fail because there is nothing too great for Him. He can lead you through. He can lead you to a place of hope. I'll tell you, one of the things that is uh, encouraging for me is just to look out over our Genesis family and just know some of the stories, the, the power of change, the power of forgiveness. And uh, one, one of my favorite uh, couples and just so grateful that God brought them into my life. They were here for a few years and now God has moved them on with a new job and uh, getting the, or a change in job and a little bit closer to family. But, but if you know their story, they've been married for something like 35 or 40 years now. And uh, very early on in their marriage, uh, uh, he was very unfaithful. And uh, there were multiple affairs, and it got so bad that he had moved out of his uh, place with his wife and was living with a different woman. And wouldn't you know it, one day, uh, he showed up in a church. And uh, if you go to that church there with him today, he can walk you to the seat and point to the seat where God got a hold of his life and changed his life and showed him forgiveness and showed him love and and from there he left and he went back to his wife. And it took a lot of time, all right? And it took some counseling, but the Lord brought them back together and he brought their marriage together. And now 35, 40 years later, they have this beautiful marriage and this beautiful ministry. And if you ask her, you know, was it worth it? She will tell you that I wouldn't wish our circumstances and what we went through on anyone. But to get what we have today, if we had to go through that, to get where we are now, I'll take it, and it's worth it. And God led us through our troubles, and he took us to a place of hope, and he's using that marriage for both of them and for others, and he's blessing it. I love when I talk to people, you know, who say, you know what, we were about to give up, or I was about to give up, but we started coming, and God has a hold of our life now, and we're trusting, and maybe that's you today. God can lead you through your present troubles to a place of hope if you'll keep trusting him, if you'll keep your focus on him. Keep 
trusting God. Don't give up yet. He can take you from a place of trouble to a place of hope, and you'll never be the same. Now, back to our story briefly. You know, God's going to say the most amazing, ludicrous thing to Hosea. Again, his wife has been unfaithful. She's betrayed him deeply, and she's still gone. But look at Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Hosea writes, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Now, I wonder if there was any part of Hosea that was thinking, Hey, God, you've seen all this, right? All right, you've seen what she's done to me, what she's put me through, and what she's put herself through. And now you want me to go show love to her again? All right, this is crazy. And you know what? This may describe some of you today. All right, and what you're feeling right now towards your spouse. I mean, maybe your spouse had an affair and you don't think you could ever love them again. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe you just don't feel that love anymore. I mean, that spark has been gone for a really long time now. And so you're asking, what's the reason to even keep trying or staying? Well, maybe what God says to Hosea you might hear him say to you today, when you think, you know what, I can't love anymore. Or or, you know what, this might be the hardest thing that you'll have to do. But look at Hosea 3, 1, the second half of that verse. Here's his command. He says, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. God just very specifically says to Hosea, I want you to go love your spouse and keep showing love to her And I want you to love her as I have loved you. Now, maybe right there you're wondering to yourself, how's that even possible? I mean, I don't have those feelings for her anymore. I I don't even feel that love for my husband anymore. I mean, how can I love my my wife when I don't love her anymore? What's his command? What's his words to Hosea? He says, love her. I think he would say, love him as I have loved you. And that just means that right now, as God is loving us, even when we don't deserve it, even when we turn our backs on Him, even when we look to the other things in this world to do for us, for what only God can do, God says, you go and love her, and love her as I have loved you. See, more than we realize, love's not a feeling, right? It's an action. I mean, I love the the story of another couple in our church. They've got a great marriage today, but it wasn't always like that. I mean, they were in the first couple of months of their marriage when she realized that she didn't love her husband. If you hear her story, she'll tell you the feelings weren't there, but long story short, she trusted God. She put all of her faith and hope in God, and she loved her husband, all right? And what she found is that her feelings eventually followed her actions, You know, the extent of Jesus' love for us goes way beyond feelings, all right? But what we do see is we do see that He loves through His actions. Look at John 13, 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to His Father. And then John writes, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Now, We know what it meant for Jesus to love his disciples to the end. I mean, right after this, Jesus took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he washed the feet of his disciples. And why did he do that? He wanted to show them that he loved them. I mean, Jesus wanted them to see and to experience that love as an action too. And let me just tell you quickly how this story of Hosea and Gomer ends. If you don't know it, God tells Hosea to go and to find his immoral wife, and to show her love again. And do you know what Hosea had to do to demonstrate that? 
He took his own money and he purchased her back out of prostitution. He literally bought her back. He took her back. Which, when you think about it, is exactly what God did for us when he sent his son Jesus with Jesus. It's as 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you're not your own. You were bought with a price. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus showed us that love is an action when he shed his own blood on the cross. He shed his blood to purchase me back. He shed his blood to purchase you back. That while we were still adulterous, God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. He died for me, and he died for you, and he died for my marriage, and he died for your marriage. And he paid the price. And because he paid the price for my life and your life, it just means that no matter where you are right now, he can lead you through it, and he can lead you uh, to a door of hope. Let's pray together. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the powerful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you sent your son to die and to make a way so that we could have life, that you could give us life and give us hope and rescue our marriages and take what we're in right now and lead us to a a better place, a place where you can use us and bless us in even greater ways. Lord, we thank you for your unfailing love and how you show that and reveal that over and over again. And as we leave here right now, Lord, it's our heart's desire to put all of our focus and our attention on you as your servants just asking, Lord, what next, Lord? What do you want to do through me? Show me love. Help me to love. God, we pray for that strength. We pray for that strength in us and over every life here and over our marriages, Father. We trust you and we believe in you and your power the healing power and your unfailing love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, we're gonna be up front. We'd love to talk or pray with you before you go today. Don't feel the need to rush out uh, if you'd like to take some extra time.